The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for His kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit ShadyGrovePCA.org. All right, we're looking at Mark, Gospel of Mark. Follow along in the bulletin, or if you have your Bible, if you could follow along, it'd be great. We're looking at Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 33, and we're looking at three questions, two rebukes, and one must. I'm giving you the outline so you would look for those things. Look for the three questions, look for the two rebukes, and the one must. Here we go. Let me pray for us. Father, now as we look at your word, we ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate it to us and apply it down into the depths of our soul. And we pray that you'd root out unbelief, that you'd root out all the areas where we are attached to self and ply us away from that. Turn all of our affections to you now, Lord Jesus. I ask in your name, amen. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. When he had spit on his eyes, laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. He sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on his way, he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist and others Elijah and others one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you're the Christ. And he strictly charged them not to tell no one about him. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing the disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So as we've been walking through Mark, one of the terms that we've been using a bunch is called the Mark and Sandwich, and how Mark will tell a story within a story. And we've been saying that a bunch. And so here we have a story within a story. And we're actually seeing this is the only miracle that Jesus does in stages. And it's a miracle that is done to communicate a point and to give you a little uh, credibility here that it's not just me saying this, but somebody important like Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his wonderful book, uh, Spiritual Depression, he has a whole chapter called, I See Men Like Trees Walking. Um, and so he says, and, and all the commentators agree, he says, all our Lord's mir miracles are more than events. They are in a sense parables. This does not mean that we do not believe in the actual incident as a fact of history. Of course we do. I'm simply asserting that a miracle is also a parable. And that makes sense to us, right? I mean, Jesus feeds 5,000 and then he says, I'm the bread of life. 
He raises Lazarus from the dead, and then he says, right before it, I'm the resurrection and the life. So we certainly see that, but how about this story? Here we have a guy that's healed in stages, and at first, all he says is, I see men like trees walking. And the whole point is to show you Peter. He gets the big one, he gets the big one right, but then he gets the second one way wrong. And the whole point, as we've talked about the Gospel of Mark, is this is the high water mark. This is the continental divide. Everything's been leading up to him saying, to Peter saying, you're the Christ. That's the high water mark. You've reached the top of the continental divide. And the rest of the Gospel of Mark and, and the other Gospels, Synoptic Gospels, will do this as well. Then it's now, okay, we, now we know who Jesus is. Now we need to know what he came to do. And so... Peter gets first question right, but he sees men like trees walking, and he doesn't get the second. And so you can see, you know, you can imagine Peter when Jesus starts telling him about the must and what he's got to do. He's got to be rejected, slain, and raised, you know, that whole big thing. And the disciples are probably all looking at Peter, and Peter's like, I'll take care of this. Hey, hey Jesus, let's, let's take a little walk. Let's, let's come on. Come on over here. We, I got to teach Jesus a little lesson. So he wants to pull him aside from the crowd, you know, and tell him, come on, Jesus. I mean, we, we just, if for those of you who came to the men's breakfast, we get a redo of this because Chuck Garriott just spoke to the men last week about this. And, and, Chuck, and Chuck was describing his own ministry and how it's so easy to get wrapped up in ourselves. And for Peter and the disciples, I mean, they've arrived. I mean, you're following Jesus, and he's feeding multitudes, he's walking on water, he's touching lepers, and they're healed, and women that are, you know, a woman that's been bleeding touches him, and she's healed, and he comes over somebody and speaks a word and raises her from the dead, and demons are being driven out. I mean, Jesus, this couldn't be any better. We have got it going on. We have arrived. This is just wonderful. And what Jesus is making clear throughout, he keeps telling people, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Because this stock isn't ready to go public. We're not ready for an IPO. We are so far off from what the mission really is. I mean, these disciples, when they get rejected in Samaria, what do they say? Shall we call down fire from heaven? I mean, they don't get it. They see men like trees walking. Do you ever have times in your life where you get it, but you don't get it? Kind of like when you see one of those pictures, and I'm sure you, you college students have seen this one in a class where you've got the hourglass, and it's two faces looking at each other, and until you really look at it, you realize, oh, that's two faces looking at each other, but you didn't get it until you really looked at it. Or the one that you look at, and it's either an old lady an elderly lady that's looking this way or it's a young woman that's looking this way. And until you look at it carefully, you don't catch, hey, there's two things going on here. You know, it's kind of like looking at these dotted things and they tell you, you know, if you look carefully at this dotted thing long enough, you'll see the 3D image. And all of a sudden, you know, it's like a picture of Star Wars or something, you know, it's like, whoa. Well, Peter gets it, but then he doesn't get it. I had this happen to me this week. I was... And Gene Sohn's going to love this story because this is the firewood that I got from his house. I've never burned ash wood before. And I think ash, I actually Googled this. Does ash mean ashes? Because the ashes take forever to get cool. 
And I took, I've been dumping my ashes for 16 years behind my shed. Never had a problem until this tree. And I just, it was windy, but I just dumped the ashes and I went on my merry way. And I started moving my firewood from New Year, my new pile that, that I'm making for this year. And I'm, I took the fence down, I'm throwing the wood, and I'm listening to a John Stott sermon on this passage. And I'm just listening away, and I kept smelling smoke. And I knew I was smelling smoke. And I'm thinking, I'm not burning a fire. Who's burning a fire? Who, who's running a wood stove? My neighbor's not burning this year. Who's fire? And I just keep throwing the wood, and I'm, I keep smelling smoke. Smelling, smelling. And, I, and I'm literally halfway through the, the sermon, and I thought, something's not right. Something's not right. I look behind my shed, and I see flames three feet high. I was no longer seeing men like trees walking. I mean, all of a sudden, my smell that was saying, you know, I'm a little slow to wake up to the reality. Well, now I'm in a full sprint. Run back there and realize I can't stomp it out. I sprint into, the, sprint into my house, and Kim sees me dashing through the backyard. She said, what's going on? I said, fire! You know, <laughs> run downstairs, grab the fire extinguisher, sprint outside, and I fire extinguish this thing down. Great. It instantly starts coming back because it's too hot, and the fire extinguisher's gone. And I said, Kim, I need a shovel. So she gets the, runs, run to the shed, get a shovel, and I, thankfully I had 16 years of ash pile that I could scoop the, through, the, through the dirt on and put out the fire. But I was slow to get it. I was smelling, smelling, but until I saw it, did I see it. Well, do you see this morning what Jesus, who Jesus is what he's come to do. Because what he, what he has come to do doesn't seem fitting for a Messiah. When great people come, you're expecting, the disciples had a certain expectation of what the Messiah was going to do. And Jesus has to work them through this process. Okay, so at first, he asked the first question, what do you see? And they don't get it. And so this healing is meant to show us that we start to get it, but we don't really get it. Because the way that we start to get it is often we, we as we've been saying along, uh, several times now in this series, that we all like to say, Jesus, I love you, and I have a wonderful plan for your life. And we get it all backwards. We think, Jesus is great, I'm going to use him for myself. And as Tim Keller talks about one of his messages, there's this temptation to love Jesus instrumentally rather than aesthetically. What's the difference? If you love him instrumentally, Jesus is a means to an end. But the means to the end, the end is ultimately still self. That I want to become great. I want to be special. I want to be this or that. And I want to use you know, my gifts, I want to do all this, and I want Jesus to bless it. And we tend to love him instrumentally rather than just aesthetically is just recognizing he's the king of glory. He's the king. He's the creator. He's the redeemer. And we lay down our life and we quit handing him a, a sheet of paper that's all filled in and ask him to sign it. He hands us a blank sheet and says, sign it. All right, my life is yours. You're in charge. And so... Are we ready to do that? And so the first question is, do you see anything? And they're, they're, this man is healed in stages, but then we see 
the, the questions are asked to, Jesus asked two questions here in this text. And the first one is just a generic question. He asked, who do people say that I am? And then he asked a more specific question. We like the first question, but the second question is, but you, literally, but you, who do you say that I am? First, he asked, who do people say that I am? And they start telling them all the different answers. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others the prophets, one of the prophets. And sometimes, have you ever had this experience, sometimes a compliment is not a compliment? Have you ever had that experience? Like to say Jesus is like John the Baptist or to say that he's like Elijah, or like a, is that a compliment to Jesus? It's kind of like if, if I saw, I went to a gymnasium and I saw LeBron James playing basketball and I'm seeing him shoot threes, I'm seeing him still run the court, he's 38 years old but he can still get up and down the court, still dunk, of course his ankle's messed up, his foot's messed up right now but that's the side. But you say to him, you go up to him and you say, man, I, hey, I'm involved in a, you're really good and I'm in a pickup league on Thursday nights and we've got a spot. Would you be interested in coming and playing for us? Would LeBron think of that as a compliment or an insult? It'd be an insult, right? So let's say, I mean, let's just say, you know, you, you, you hear an incredible musician, you know, and then you go say, hey, I've got a little band and I'm doing a coffee house next week. And, and Alison Krauss, I'd really love for you to bring your fiddle and I'd love for you to sing backup and maybe you could open for me. Would she be insulted by that? She'd be insulted. Well, how about your wife? And if you said, she's one of many women that I love. Good answer, bad answer. Nah, not going to be good. She's the last of many women that I love. She's a friend. None of those things honor her and communicate that she's special and unique. These answers don't give the glory to Jesus. They're, they're compliments that aren't a compliment at all. And if any of you all saw the Ligonier survey that came out in 2020 where they survey all these evangelicals and they, they find the state of the church's theology, here's how we did it as evangelicals. A third of the church, evangelicals, when asked the question, Jesus was a good teacher, but he was not God. A third of evangelicals said that was a true statement. A third. That's not a compliment to Jesus, okay? Um, the, even worse, 65% of the church, evangelicals, affirm this, that Jesus is the first and, and greatest being created by God. 65% agree with that. And yet the early church had a, had a creed for a reason called the Nicene Creed because of Arianism. And 65% of the church is Arian, according to the to Ligonier study. And Arian believed that Jesus was not God, that he was a created being. And yet the church has been saying since 325 AD, you know, light of light, God of God, very God of very God, begotten, not made of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. So it's not a compliment to say, oh, he's great, he was a created being. No. All of these answers are bad answers. Peter gets it right. Who do you say that I am? 
This is the most important question. One of the most important questions we'll ever answer in all of our life. Who is Jesus? I think, we, we, I think so much of our problem today is we have the wrong questions first. We're, we're, I mean, we're asking questions like, what is my purpose in life? Why am I here? What am I gonna do after college? What am I gonna major in, in college? What am I gonna do? What, where, and, we're, and we get all this anxiety, and, and, and I can tell you, until I knew that God was completely sovereign and that he ruled over all of the affairs of, of, of everything that happened and that God is good and wise and has a plan and he's over everything, I was lost. And I've described it as, as if you looked into my closet of my life, everything was thrown on the floor because I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know how to make sense. I didn't know how to answer any of the other questions I just asked because I, I was trying to, to put the wrong questions first. But when I had the understanding that, wait a minute, God is over all of this, then all of a sudden it was like I had a hanger. And now I had, I could hang every piece of, oh, this is where the shirts go. This is where the pants go. Like everything all of a sudden started, there started to be some organization and, and to life. And I think that this is a big problem in our culture. And I'll describe it like this. Maybe you, I wonder if any of you saw um, Moondust, which was in season three of The Crown. Anybody see the, some of The Crown? But it's, it's about Queen Elizabeth, and it's this, I think it was on Netflix series. But season three, one of the best episodes that I enjoyed was called Moondust. And it's the, where Prince Philip is going through a midlife crisis. And Prince Philip is pretty upset that these priests are wanting to use this house on the property um, to have a, basically a retreat center for burnt out and tired priests. That he didn't think that they should be burnt out or tired and they just needed to do something with their life and, and make something of it. And so that's early on in, in, the, in the episode. But then later as Prince Philip discovers and he's watching with intensity the three men landing on the moon. And so he's, and this is, you know, that truly happened, 1969, and so he's watching with intensity and they're showing these little tiny TVs, black and white, some of them, and, and he's watching them land on the moon. And then these three guys, remember Buzz Aldrin and, and Neil Armstrong, and uh, the, these guys are gonna come to England and they're gonna get to, he's gonna get to meet them. And so Prince Phillips decides to lay his cards on the table that he wants 15 minutes or some time alone with him. I think they granted him 10 or 15 minutes so that he could ask the questions that he wanted to ask of these guys. Because he's going through this midlife crisis and he has all of these great, deep, transcendent questions and these guys have been on the moon. And so he just, he just can't wait to ask them you know, these kind of transcendent kind of questions about what, you know, what is the real meaning of life? I mean, you, what, what have you seen? And so they, they, these three guys come, and if any of you remember this, they all have a cold, they're coughing, they're, they're and you know, they're kind of like, oh man, these guys are, there's nothing special about them. And then when he begins to ask them his great transcendent questions, he realizes they have nothing to answer to him because all they have to say is, 
Well, we were actually, all we were thinking about was landing the module. We weren't thinking about any transcend, you know, all we were thinking about was landing and doing our duty. We were just focused on our job at hand, and, and they have no possible answer to the questions that he's been asking. And I said to Kim, when I was watching, I said, he's going to go back to those priests now. And then sure enough, the next scene, he's sitting at the table with them. And he's describing, you know, that he's kind of going through a crisis of his own now. And now all of a sudden he starts to see the need for these priests and for this house. And to this day, there is still a house that Prince Philip helped happen. The rest of it was made up, by the way. There, that never really happened in real life. I, when you Google it, it, it ruins a lot of good illustrations. But... <laughs> But here's the thing, I wonder what would happen if the moon, this is going to be kind of heady, but what if the moon had a mind to it? Our little moon, and it was able to think for itself. And that moon started to say, you know, I am really hot stuff. I am the, I'm the luminary of the night, and at night it's, I'm the one that's the show. Everybody's looking at me. And you can see what I do over at the, at the coast of the Pacific and the coast of the Atlantic, and I'm the one moving those tides, and I'm pretty special. I'm the moon, you know. And I really want everything to revolve around me because I'm, I'm the moon. I am really special. I think the earth should be rotating around me. I think all the planets should rotate around me. I actually think the whole universe should rotate around me because I'm hot stuff. Now, what would you say to the moon if the moon started to talk this way? You'd say the moon, is, the moon is having an existential crisis. You'd say, Mr. Moon, how many moons are there in our solar system, Mr. Moon? Do you know the answer to that question? Because it's really a trick question. It's anywhere from 171 to 232. Most people think around 224, but the number keeps changing and growing. But you say to Mr. Moon, there's actually two on Mars, two moons. There's 93, 92 in Jupiter, 83 at Saturn, and even Pluto's got five, five moons going around. You think you're so special. How many moons do you think there are in the universe? Because we know that there's millions and billions of galaxies, and there's millions and billions of solar systems, and all of these planets, and, and all of these constellations. Everything has moons, so... You're really not all that special, Mr. Moon. But you were made, Mr. Moon, with a purpose. To reflect the light of the sun. And you find your purpose in reflecting the light of the sun. You have no light in and of yourself. In and of yourself, you're nothing. You're dark. But when you put the big rock in and realize who you are, Mr. Moon, and in the midst of all of these other moons and, and, and solar systems and galaxies, there is a sun. And your job is to, is to bring glory to the sun. You're just reflected light. And so if we could get that in first, then we start to make sense of life. And so Peter, he has it, but he doesn't have it. So at first he says, you're the Christ. He recognized who is the Son, who is the King of glory. And the Christ is, is this idea of the Messiah. It just means anointed one. But he's the, he's the one that's been foretold in all of the scriptures of old. And Jesus never rebukes him for this. He doesn't correct him. He realizes that he gets it. What about you? Who do you say that he is? Then he leads him 
to tell them about his mission. And this is really important because it's really important that we understand why did Jesus come? Did he come because we're really good people and he wanted to help us to become the better version of yourself because you're really pretty good in and of yourself? Jesus came on a mission and the mission is that he's gonna have to be rejected, he's gonna be, he's gonna be killed and he's gonna be raised. And he keeps telling us this in 831, 931, 1033, three times in the Gospel of Mark, he's going to say this pretty much the exact same thing of what is going to happen to him. He has to get the disciples to start to comprehend that this version of Messiah is not the Messiah that they think that he's going to be. They want a Messiah who's going to write them and, and bring them into positions of power positions of influence. Now we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take the kingdom back from Rome. And yet he does take him right up to Caesarea Philippi, which is, out, is like this northern point, 25 miles from where they are. And there's this uh, like shrine that's been built there. And it's right at the Jordan River. And it's right at this grotto, this rock. And it's symbolizing like Pagan worship is basically exemplified at this very area. And he's basically saying, I'm it, not this. Not this pagan God. He's going to build his church. In Matthew's accounts, you know, it's right here. He's going, I'm going I'm to build my church. And the gates of hell are not going to stand against it. And so this kingdom is all about Jesus. But Jesus is going to do something that shows us that it's just the opposite of what we might think. Because where we're going next week, and this is the whole point of when Francis Schaeffer had this, his own existential crisis, and he went through and he, he wrote this great book called True Spirituality, and this was way back in 1971, and he was concerned because he said everything in the culture around him is around two things, personal peace and affluence, and that's all it's about. And he's saying the very pattern of the Christian life is that the very way that Jesus is going to be rejected and slain and raised is your life. You have to be rejected. You're going to have to be slain, and then you'll be raised. This is where we're going next week, because what he's trying to get Peter to see and the rest of the disciples, because they're just seeing men like trees walk, and they can't imagine that a Messiah would actually suffer be killed, and then be raised. And that be the pattern for the Christian life is that I actually am to be the servant of all and not the one who lords it over everybody. I'm actually to lose power and I actually gain influence that way. Who, who would think that? And Jesus is doing this all because he has to make us right with the Father. He's on this mission to save us from our sins, to be the Lamb of God, to be the one who would suffer in our place, to take our very sins, and he's trying to show them and lead them up to this whole thing. And so I would ask this morning, where are you at with your vision? Do you see men like trees walking? Do you see who Jesus is? And do you see who he is, why he has come, how he did it, and why he did it? For us to be these new people in Jesus, he has to go to the cross. He has to be slain. He has to be killed. But on the third day, he rises again. And for us, this is where we experience the Christian life, is that we have to die to ourselves. 
die to the flesh, die to all these things of, that we want to go for. And, and I, you know, I was just thinking this week as I was confessing my own sin, and I was thinking through just Saul, David, Solomon, and how much sin in my heart. I'm a Saul. I want to appease people. I want people to like me. I don't want to wait on the timing. I want to do the sacrifice myself. I want to do it myself. There's a little Saul in all of us that wants to make it happen ourselves. Please, people, please make me look good in front of everybody. And then there's a David in us. When something gets in your way and you're trying to hide your sin, you're willing to even hurt people or you use personal power and privilege and hurt other people with that. And then Solomon. Solomon just loved the world. He loved the wine and the women and all the, the, all the things that the world had to offer him. They led his heart astray. But we love prosperity. We love to have all, all the things that the world can give, and we, we think we can have it both. And Jesus is saying to Peter, no. And so he rebukes Peter in front of them all to show the disciples that's the wrong way. You're, you're actually an adversary at that point. He calls him Satan. So he went from so good to so wrong. And for us, we have to do the same. We have to die to ourselves and follow him. He's the king. Can't love him instrumentally, but aesthetically. We have to say, you're the Lord. You become greater. I must become less. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you this morning. You came not to be served, but to serve. To give your life as a ransom, redeemer. One who would purchase and buy us back with his blood. Thank you that it is finished. Lord, we lay down uh, all the things that, as we sing in the hymn, that charm me most. We sacrifice them to your blood. Lord, we need you. We ask that you be honored here in our midst, in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name.